0: The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit
1: ncbaptist.org.
2: Welcome. My name is Amaury Santos. I'm the Senior Consultant for Hispanic Ministry and Immigration Specialist. And we have uh, Dr. Larry Phillips with us today. And uh, we are heading the immigration effort for the convention there is another gentleman that you have you will meet today. John Faison is a partner in Raleigh for the CIR or Council on International Relations. And we have Bobby Farmer. Pastor Farmer is our our, our associate and our partner also in the Lincoln Center area. You will learn about that today in a few minutes. Uh, what are we doing talking about immigration? When I started working for the convention over a decade ago, uh, I was in Hispanic church planting. And one of the realities about some of the pastors that would come to plant churches is that they didn't have documents. They were undocumented. And we didn't know what to do because we provide financial assistance for our planters. And the IRS doesn't take kindly when someone doesn't have a social security number. And they cannot get taxes from them. (laughs) So it put us in a conundrum. What do we do? We want to do what is right, but we don't want to break the law. And nobody had answers. What what could we do? And we decided to stay on the sideline and wait. But the problem started getting worse. Instead of, uh, like, any problem that you have and you don't tackle it, it will get worse over time. Uh, Until we have realized that we need to do something. We need to step in, we need to to make a difference for the kingdom and, and serve our churches and beyond our churches, perhaps the community, with this issue. We found that serving the immigrant was a biblical thing to do, and that we weren 't at all with the Bible or with God, uh, but it was something that was expected. So I just want to read a couple of passages i don 't have time to go into a deep. Uh, Bible study this morning, but some passages from the Old Testament uh, got referring to the issue of, of immigration with Israel uh, as a nation. So I have some friends here that will help us. Bobby, if you can uh, go to that passage in Exodus 22. Back in, if my memory serves me right, back in 2015, the Baptist Convention as a whole, not, not the Baptist State Convention, but the, the national organization, pass a resolution affirming the, the, the necessity for us to, to connect with the immigrants and to show the love of Christ to them, we passed ourselves a resolution here a couple of years ago that, that created this immigration ministry that we are dealing with right now, we are working with. Uh, so it's something that is happening nationwide, it's happening statewide, and we have biblical foundation or biblical basis to, to have that position. Uh, But we go for that passage in Exodus 22.
0: This is Exodus 22, starting in verse 21. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows, and your children fathers.
2: Exodus twenty three nine. There, Victor.
0: Exodus twenty three nine. <clears throat> you shall not oppress a sojourner. You shall not. You should. You know. You know the heart of a sojourner The were sojourners in the land of Egypt.
2: Virginia, what do you have in nineteen thirty-three? Leviticus. Sure. Leviticus
3: nineteen thirty-three and thirty-four as well. Yeah, okay. please. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the son, you, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God.
2: Amen. Amen. I'm just quoting those passages as a small sample, but I have dozens here. You can go through Exodus 12, 49, Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 21, Deuteronomy 26, 12, Psalm 146, nine, Ezek- Ezekiel, Jeremiah. You can go all, all the way up to the new Testament through Matthew 25, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter two, 13, I mean, on and on and on. But the, the, the teaching of the passages is very, it's very clear. Uh, the justice of God toward the foreigner um, called to show mercy to the foreigner and protection from God to the foreigner. And you will think, well, that's unnecessary. Why would God be warning Israel that was a theocracy at that time, a people separated by God to serve him, and God was basically the king? Why would you remind people that were in oppression and abuse for 400 years in Egypt? do not mistreat the foreigner among them. Well, I think that, I don't know if it's because of sin <laughs> or social realities, but we are very ethnocentric by nature, mm-hmm. right? We have the tendency to drift toward those that look like us, sound like us, and let's be honest, those that we have a lot of commonality with. You know, if someone speaks Spanish, I feel almost automatically identified with that person. Uh, uh, and there are a lot of things in common that you, you have immediately and make you feel more comfortable. It's not that you are a racist, that you hate the other races, but boy, you feel more comfortable with someone. You know, I don't speak cartoonese or Mandarin, <laughs> so this Chinese brother here doesn't speak Spanish or English. And uh, I see Larry here, I might drift to Larry immediately and feel more identified with Larry and create an natural bond with Larry instead of the, other, of the other person. Well, that was happening with Israel. Now is the people of God, and this nationalistic pride was taking over the nation. And they were abusing the foreigner among them. They were mistreating them. They were taking advantage of them. And God said, if these people call upon me, you're going to be in trouble. Because I will become the, your avengers. I mean, the words couldn't be more harsh. Your children will become the orphans then. Mm. And your women, the widow. Literally, I will kill you by the sword. Those are ominous, <coughs> ominous words. Sorry, my allergies are killing me this morning. So God is not taking this lightly. I think as the people of God, sometimes we drift to our certain political positions. We are humans. We see what is going on on the border. And we become sometimes a little bit too harsh and too uh, dogmatic. And we forget the mercy and the grace part of this issue. And we are not leading by example as believers. I'm speaking to the choir here. <laughs> if you didn't love the foreigner, you probably wouldn't be here. Obviously, you are interested enough to want to know more about this issue. So don't take this like I'm lecturing you guys or hammering you with anything. Just a reminder that it's human nature to drift toward those that are similar to us. And we have to challenge as believers to go beyond those that look like us or sound like us and love and show the love of Christ. So that's what our convention understood and we said, we are not going to stay on the sidelines. Let's, let's do something about this. And we created this ministry. What is our intention? We want education for our churches, the theological aspect of it. Uh, are we at all with the Bible? I think it's a legitimate question. You're helping someone that crossed the border illegally and is breaking our laws and you're becoming an accomplice then of this situation by helping them. I think I don't feel offended when people ask those kind of questions seeking for answers Uh, uh, And I think that no one should. I think that that should be part of the discussion. We can establish with the Bible that the role of the individual is not the role of the state. You see, if I help someone with a cup of water, according to the Bible, I'm not breaking the law. Now, as a nation, we have the right to establish borders and establish laws, and we have the right to enforce them. Romans 13, 1-7, tells us that the authority has been established by God and that they have a role to play in protecting citizen citizenship. It's a British word there that I never can pronounce right, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so uh, the, the law is there for a reason. It needs to be enforced. We need to abide by the law. But that doesn't mean that we cannot show mercy, show the love of Christ to those people, and help them in, in any way we can. I used to work with an assistant. My assistant grew up here, came in when she was two or four years old, uh, before, younger than eight. I don't remember exactly the, the time, but she was an American citizen for years without knowing it, and <laughs> trying to renew her residence once she discovered she was an American citizen. Mm-hmm. So not everybody that is in this country uh, undocumented is here because they want to break the law, but they are here uh, undocumented because the law itself is broken, Uh, I don't know if you remember that old line from Robin Hood. They say sometimes the only way to uphold justice is breaking the law. Sometimes our laws are just flat out. It's injustice, what what we are carrying out through our laws. So we cannot be too dogmatic and say we need to enforce the law. Yes, we need to enforce the law. And when the law is broken, we need to change the law. We are not in the advocacy aspect of this, so don't get nervous. The convention won't be marching. We're organizing marches to Washington. Uh, we, we are raise our voice whenever we can, but we are in the biblical aspect of it. It's biblical. We are called to show love. We are called to make make a difference. So we are doing, a, doing that through centers that we are opening across the state, and uh, you will touch on that le- later, right? later. I don't want to steal your thunder, and you will meet more of what my friend Bobby is doing here in Lincoln, and all of that. We'll let Larry handle that part. But just to say, you you don't have to be nervous as our constituency that we are gonna defend or, or or be in favor of breaking the law as a nation. But we apathy and indifference is not acceptable either. We need to to reach out and show the love of Christ to those foreigners that the Lord is bringing to our nation and show show the love of Christ to them because. We don't know what the Lord is going to do with these people. In Silva, if you're familiar with the state here, way west, a pastor there was telling me that a lot of his members were deported. They were arrested and sent back. They were here undocumented. Well, he has planted two or three churches now as a result of that back in Chiapas in Mexico, in a remote area that he said no white man will ever be accepted or allowed in this area. But the natives that were born and raised there and came here and worked for a number of years undocumented now are instruments of God to bring the grace and salvation to that region. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> So I'm not defending now that we say, oh, okay, let's, let's defend the, the undocumented, but the plans of God are beyond our understanding. Israel was in Egypt 400 years, and we see what God created a nation and pulled them out of Egypt. The Hispanics are coming here for different reasons, political strife, famine, war, etc. And we don't know what God is going to do with that population if they go back home, if they stay in our country. So our job, our call, if you want to look at it that way, is to to reach out to them, share the gospel, and see what the Holy Spirit and God is going to do with that. We felt compelled as an organization to do that. We created the Baptist Immigration Services. We, are, we have a center now in Raleigh that we are partnering with in with, Lincolnton that Bobby and Larry will talk more about that in a minute. And, and Hickory, we have something going on. And our hope is to open others in, in Asheville and so forth. Bring the grace of God, the love of God, upholding the law where, where it can be upheld and challenging it where it shouldn't and and asking for changes, but without becoming ourselves criminals. Larry, I could go on, (laughs) but I will turn it over to you here.
1: Yeah, I just want to say thank you for coming uh, and being with us this morning. It's an important time for us. And we're going to do a couple of things. One is, uh, Amari has already shared with you uh, sort of the framework around which we're doing immigration services. Uh, And to give you an update... Uh, And then hopefully give you an opportunity of finding ways that you can connect and become involved in Baptist Immigration Services Uh, and what would it mean for your church, your association, your community, or what it might mean for you uh, just individually. Um, Omari has mentioned that uh, we're running several centers across the state now um, and we're interested in opening additional centers. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, There's sort of two facets that we can become involved in one is just strictly immigration services of where you provide immigration services for all people it's just not hispanic folks who are moving in to the united states but it's from africa and europe and asia uh, i was just down Amari uh, mentioned chiapas uh, just a couple of weeks ago i was down in chiapas in a city called tapachula where basically all of the people who are coming north from the southern countries have to come through Tapachula. So there's a backlog of immigrants who are, who are blockaded there, um, and uh, they don't have permission to travel north. They don't have permission to work. And so we're even looking at uh, what kind of ministries could we become involved in uh, in uh, Chiapas and Tapachula. Uh, this past week I got a call from the San Diego Baptist Association uh, in California uh, they're looking to us to say what can we do together uh, to do some ministries on the border part there in San Diego and Tijuana. Uh, Bobby and Victor have ministries uh, in on the border states as well. And, and, Bobby, you can mention that when you talk a little bit about the center. So there's a lot of ways that you can get involved in the immigration piece. Uh, Amari also mentioned, and I won't go back over it, but the way we structured this whole thing is <clears throat> the, the first thing is outreach. Why, are, why do we have immigration services? It really is an outreach to to immigrants who are coming to live among us. North Carolina Baptist Convention is the only convention that has this type of immigration service operational at this point. You'd think California and Texas and Arizona, some of those border states would have a lot more things developed. Uh, it just hasn't worked out that way for them. Uh, we're the only state convention that has two accredited uh, Department of Justice uh, representatives uh, working in immigration. Amari um, and I have our certification. John Faison, <coughs> we throw his name out a lot. John is also accredited with CIR, and Bobby is in the process now of having his <coughs> accreditation approved. We have a Hispanic pastor's wife, Miriam Acevedo, uh, from Lincolnton. She has gone through the exam process, taken the class, passed the exam, and she's doing shadowing now with us. And we'll be doing shadowing with an immigration attorney in Charlotte, so she'll be able to get her accreditation. So the the momentum is picking up, uh, but the reason we're in all of this is, is this idea of outreach. We, we do want to make disciples. We want to connect with these folks. We want to show them the love of Christ, all with the motive of reaching them for Christ. Maury also mentioned the educational piece. There's two sides of that educational piece. One is the education that we're doing with you today, And we try to educate the American church about the biblical principles around immigration. But we also spend a lot of time with the uh, uh, immigrant church talking to them about immigrant rights and also how immigrants are to treat other immigrants. Uh, There's a lot of discrimination, I won't say a lot, some discrimination uh, that occurs between immigrant populations. Uh, So all... Hispanics uh, don't feel the same about all Hispanics and uh, in Tapachula when we were there the majority of folks that we met who were there were not Hispanics the majority of people that we met were from Asia and Africa and so you have people who are arriving in Mexico who don't speak the language who have other cultural values And so that whole dynamic of of what's taking place there, so uh, that's that's part of the educational piece. The advocacy, (coughs) we're just trying to promote it to the point of we get people involved and people engaged. Uh, Amari mentioned also we don't march on Washington, but we do do advocacy. Um, An example, just a quick example, we're working with a student from Southeastern Seminary who has been here Or three years to get his master's degree from southeastern Uh, he's been working at a church voluntarily uh, uh, working with an immigrant congregation and the church has a missionary house so the church has allowed the student to live in the missionary house so we've applied for change of status from an R1 visa I mean from an F1 visa student visa to an R1 visa which would be a religious worker visa well DOJ and USCIS has decided that we have been circumventing immigration law because we provided this student a house for three years. USCIS is is saying that that's compensation, which violates the immigration system, which probably would mean that his petition will be denied, and we'll have to make an appeal, and if we lose on the appeal, then he and his family, after being here almost four years, will have to return to Vietnam. So the advocacy role is speaking to USCIS for them to understand that missionary housing is not compensation. It, it, it has nothing to do with services rendered for this student. They would have given him the house had he not even attended their church. Uh, so that's the advocacy role where we have to talk with USCIS officials to help them understand how we work as evangelicals and how we understand the dynamics around which we are involved. The other aspect is service. Uh, we do offer services. Most of the people that we offer services to are, are people who are already here, uh, people who may have relatives back in their home country, and we try to work with them on all aspects of immigration. We do very little uh, refugee work. That's not, that's not what we're involved in. You need to, to realize the difference between a refugee and, and someone seeking asylum. Or change of status refugees go through a vetting process prior to getting to the United States so they come in with a visa so they're authorized to work and so they don't have any problems with that folks who present themselves at the border are coming in as asylees they are not authorized to work and they do not have vetting prior to arriving at the border constitutional law now states that if you present yourself to an immigration official you're entitled to an immigration hearing That's the law. And so as long as that law is in place, we're going to have people at our borders attempting to get in to get that official uh, appointment with the USCIS official, which at some point they will have to determine if they have a credible fear for them to be able to stay in the U.S. So services, what we're talking about with services, you can do a lot of things with services. You can just do immigration services, or you can do a lot of other things in a hospitality center like we have running down in Lincolnton at the current time. So, Bobby, you talk a little bit about the hospitality center. That's a different model for us. Uh, So it's more than just immigration services. They're doing a lot of stuff there. And what happens with these centers that we have going, DOJ, we have to have a recognition of that center, and you have to have uh, an employee or volunteer working at the center that's accredited by the Department of DOJ. So the center in Lincolnton has its recognition. Now we're waiting for the accreditation for Bobby, and when that accreditation comes, that center is up and running. That center currently is connected with our center in Raleigh. The center in Raleigh is accredited, and now DOJ has given us the opportunity of having satellite centers so we don't have to go to a church and say, this is going to cost you X amount of money to start a center. We can run this through our center in Raleigh that's already accredited, and at that point we don't have to go through the recognition process. All we have to go through is the accreditation of the people who are going to work there. Good. So that, that's, a, that's a big plus for us in this year. So let me stop there, and Bobby, talk a few minutes about Immigration Hospitality Center in Lincolnton.
0: Um, yeah, I, I'm with uh, Church in Dale, North Carolina, below Hickory, and staff members there with the division that we hear about, of course, politically and on social media, I was like, you know, what's a biblical application, right? like the Lord was talking about a okay. long And it really burdened me when I was reading the book of Romans, um, I came to the verse that says, you know, who are welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us with the Lord God. Or receive one another in you another know, translation. I like was you know, not every immigrant is Christian, of course, but there are many that are. So in the context of that passage, it's talking about receiving even brothers and sisters in Christ, but also our neighborhood. And I just wrestled with that, and Larry came to me and told me about this opportunity about three or four years ago. Transitions in our church family kind of prevented me from following through, but I continue to pray about it. Continue to seek God's guidance. Um, I have a, a prayer walk group with young adults, and we would just prayer walk downtown Lincoln, and, and just you know, trying to find people of peace and just praying for businesses, praying. for and got to, you know, just thinking about the need in our community, not just. You know, what um, we could we see on the main street but in these communities where we were coming across a lot of immigrants and being a part of my Pastor Victor here, we, we uh, minister down in Mexico every year on the border. And so all this was just stirring within me. So I got back in touch with Larry and we started praying. I went and got the training to uh, Minneapolis, a 40 hour course. I went to Atlanta uh, for a week to do a 40-hour internship with a, a ministry that provides this similar service. And as we were prayer walking in Lincoln, we just came across the building. But I had no clue who owned it. It turned out to be a Christian business. And all of a sudden, God just opened up this door to have a center on, on Main Street in a small town uh, there in rural Lincoln County. And uh, it's just amazing to see how God is, is opening doors into the community where we're able to, to start uh, connecting with uh, organizations, business people, but also the immigrant community. And I think that was the biggest thing, you know, for me, is I want to help because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, to help others understand how to receive each other well. And so that's why we called it the Immigrant Hospitality Hospitality, I mean, that's a central theme of of Scripture, and even the heart of God, as well know, And I was like, you know, this is just going to be more than providing the legal service and the education, there's more that it can come out of this at some point. We are both focusing on the immigration service, giving the gospel uh, to people to come in, as well as the truth about their uh, immigration options and the process. Uh, just thankful for the state convention, uh, first and foremost, for our local association, South Fort Valley Association. Uh, we were able to pull some uh, cooperative program funds to, to assist us, and uh, it's just been a it's been a blessing. Starting a network in our community, the school system, uh, to provide some educational components. We've had uh, a community college group come through. And, a charter school group and I've been to one of our local high schools to speak one of our elementary schools. So we're trying to focus on what Larry's talking about, getting the uh, uh, word out, education, community awareness, partnering with uh, naturalized Charlotte uh, to make some connections uh, in the Charlotte area. Um, so just trying to work on those connections while we get the experience there. And Ms. Miriam, as Larry mentioned, uh, bilingual pastor's wife is is uh, there in the office assisting us working on thursdays from 9 a.m to 12 and 4 to 7 where we provide uh, low-cost immigration screenings um, where people can now come in we can screen them for the immigration options and we've already started to see uh, a few people uh, coming with that so we're just Just thankful that the Lord's opened this door and that the community even is embracing that. Uh, The community of churches is embracing that, but also the community uh, of people that are unbelievers. I have unbelievers that that are just coming to me, asking why or how this was uh, able to come about. Of course, it's an opportunity to share what God is doing. So it's not only a witnessing uh, tool, to the immigrant community,
1: it's also being a witnessing tool to the, the local community. Uh, also. Okay. That sounds that sounds great. And it, this is a model. It's just one of the models that we're promoting. And last year, uh, Bobby could not have given that testimony. So next year, I'm hoping that some of you will be the ones who will be back and be able to give some of the testimonies of what has happened and what God is doing where you may be and, and how you want to become involved. So we mentioned these are, these are the operational centers here. <clears throat> We've already got a, a church in Charlotte that's very interested. Bobby's on staff at Holes Grove Baptist Church. They're giving him a couple of days a week to work with us, which reduces our cost in getting that immigration center started in Lincolnton. We've had businessmen who have donated money basically for two years to uh, to uh, rent a facility for us. Uh, we found that God has resources and, and if we can present the cha- present a challenge, the resources come, people respond. And one of the things we often hear is we just don't have the resources to start doing this. Uh, we didn't have them either in Lincolnton. Uh, but there was, a, there was a person who had an interest, uh, and then that interest began to gain momentum. And then we had businessmen who stepped up. We had a church that stepped up. In the Charlotte situation, it looks like we're going to be able to put it in a church, a large church in Charlotte. Uh, they have a staff person that they're willing to give at least a day or a day and a half a week to start the center there in Charlotte. So hopefully next year in Charlotte, uh, when we come back, we'll have, we'll have one for you there. Hendersonville, it, uh, we're going to probably do a, another model there. Uh, we're partnering with CIR. Amari mentioned that. A new partner for us is World Relief. And you say, why, why do you want to partner with World Relief? But if you remember the the primary purpose for world relief has been refugee ministries, and so when you had sixty thousand refugees coming in, they had a strong ministry and had a need for that ministry but i 'm not sure on the figures don 't quote me on this, but I think in two thousand and twenty there are only eighteen thousand approved refugees to come into the united states that 's crazy when you have hundreds of thousands of people who need to resettle somewhere. And our government says we're only going to let 18,000 in next year. You've got an organization at World Relief that's based on world on refugee ministries. So World Relief is beginning to shift as well. From they'll always do refugee ministry, but now they're going to become involved more in immigrant ministries with uh, change of status, uh, family petitions. Um, religious those kinds of things that they have not been involved in in the past. So we're working with World Relief to look at another model in Hendersonville of where they may send one of their attorneys in to work in one of our churches. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, And so we can almost just plug in uh, a clinic there with the church willing to do it. We have to come up with the funding. We don't have to worry about... Recognition and accreditation because world relief already has it, and so that short circuits the process that we have to go through. A
3: world relief attorney is yes, in
1: there. yes, can be an attorney or they can be accredited reps like Amari and me, but then have to be an attorney. So, but that's that's another model. So, with the immigration centers, <clears throat> uh, some of you have some interest, some of you are in a position to do that. If you have your own 501c3, uh, we can help work you through the recognition and the accreditation process. If you don't have your own 501c3 as a church, if you're affiliated with the State Convention, then our 501c3 serves you for that application for the recognition and the accreditation. Does that make sense? Okay. That's wonderful. Okay. Uh, Durham, uh, just uh, an update there. We were in conversations with uh, First Baptist uh, Durham, and uh, we were looking at possibilities of starting a center there. Uh, First Baptist Durham connected with World Relief. World Relief now has an immigration office in Durham, not a refugee office, but an immigration office, where they have an accredited rep working in Durham. So First Baptist Durham says... Why should we start an immigration center if World Relief already has one just a few blocks from us? So First Baptist Durham said (coughs) to World Relief, what can we do that will help you in your services? Remember the convention's advocating for all of this. So we're sort of a broker. We're with World Relief. We're connected with First Baptist Durham. So the outcome of that was (coughs) World Relief now has their immigration center, Durham, is offering citizenship classes to the people who have residency. And those citizenship classes are meeting at First Baptist Church Durham, where Relief is now processing those citizenship applications. So that's the type of partnership that's beginning to develop across different agencies. Uh, and we, we like that partnership. Uh, we don't exactly know where it's going to go. and <clears throat> how it's going to develop, but that's a new thing for us this year that we did not have last year that God has opened up for us. Okay. Uh, For those who are interested in accreditation, if you want to partner with us, get you connected with Royal Relief, but if you want accreditation, uh, Bobby mentioned it's 40 hours. Royal Relief offers these 40 hours of training, Immigrant Hope. We don't offer it. We're not accredited to offer the legal training, Uh, but it's 40 hours of training. You can actually do the training online now. We didn't have that last year. You can go to (coughs) cliniclegal.org. You can take 40 hours training online. Uh, They give you the test online. You pass the test. You present those credentials. (coughs) You do your shadowing, and then you have your accreditation. So that's, that's another simpler way. Miriam from Lincolnton was not able to travel because of children, to be awake, uh, away for a full week. So she did her training online, and she has her accredita- She's working towards her accreditation. The cost of the accreditation, ballpark figure online or offline, is around five hundred dollars. And then if you have to travel, Bobby, where did you go to Atlanta, Minneapolis. Minneapolis? If you have to travel, then you've got travel expenses. But if you do it online, you only have the expense of taking the online course. And that online course, I think, is like six weeks, two days a week. and the sessions are recorded, so if you're not able to make it live, you have the recorded sessions, uh, and then they give you pop quizzes and all this kind of stuff along the way to be sure that you're tracking well enough on the learning to be able to apply for the accreditation. So we're looking for other places to start. We want other centers. Um, If if you have a heart for it and a ministry for it, it's not the number of... uh, Interviews you make or petitions that you file during the year, it's the fact that you're connecting with that immigrant community. So, we've got one in Hickory and one in Lincolnton. <clears throat> We're 22 miles apart. That's not a problem for us. If we have a concentration of Hispanics in one area and 10 or 15 miles away, we have another concentration of Hispanics and two churches want to work in those areas, we'll work to get both of those centers up and running. That's not a problem. So, uh, so that's kind of where we are. I brought some resources. I, if you want to take time later to look at them, uh, but let's open it up for questions. We have about ten minutes to kind of see where you are and the kind of questions that you might have, and, and you guys help fill in. Amari and Bobby, you can yes.
3: So, what's the process to start? Like one of the one of the church planners that was highlighted last night um, is is not legal. So, what's the what's the process? That we need to go through in order to try to work to get him legal, or to do you know do as much as we possibly can. Do.
1: Okay, we just we just need to take a look at his case. We need to find out how he entered the country, what country he's from, how long he's been here. Those are the kinds of questions that we we do a general intake. So the intake will take about an hour, and at any of our centers. We charge $50 for that intake. Most attorneys will charge a couple of hundred dollars for that intake. We charge $50 for that intake. And then we're able to make a determination, is there a pathway for that individual to obtain residency? So there are basically two steps. One is residency, sort of to help you understand that, and the other is citizenship. The residency is the green card. So that's the first step. So we want people to have a green card, to have authorization to work. And depending upon their situation, they could have TPS, the Temporary Protected Status. If they have Temporary Protected Status, and uh, that's going to be extended for most of the Central American countries through 2021. So if they have TPS, then we can work with them, and with TPS, they can work. In the U.S., they can actually get a temporary green card to work for for them. But once they get residency, then we want to move them to citizenship because there are advantages. If you have permanent residency, it's not permanent. You can be deported. But if you have a residency as, as a U.S. citizen, you cannot be deported. And so that's another part of the educational piece is to help the people who have residency and have had residency for years who have never moved to citizenship, we want to move them to citizenship.
3: <clears throat> Under what circumstances could you be deported if you had a green card?
1: Uh, murder, okay. violation, drug violation. Okay. Yeah, those, those kinds of things.
2: They might have trouble <clears throat> renewing it if you are convicted of a DUI. Yeah, but, um, yeah. So any, any type of criminal record. It's, uh, what's the top 100? 10 years, Ten years yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's frustrating I, I know you are coming from this, this situation with the pastor because they come to me and say what do I need to do and I can never give them a straight answer it always depends <laughs> you know, that's what the for. intake is for right? Exactly. Yes. you need to determine so many variables and factors before you can tell someone yeah you have a chance you might not have a chance it's part of the broken system I was talking about earlier it's just a messed up. If you think the tax law is difficult, you should try immigration. It's just a na- nightmarish. It's just the exception makes the rule.
1: Yeah. We have to. If they entered with inspection is one thing. If they entered without inspection it's something else. So if they actually talk to an immigration official at the border, we have a better chance. Mm-hmm. If they cross the border really illegally, uh, uh, then it's more difficult. But there are waivers, and that's the inconsistency of the immigration system. There are laws that says you can't do this, but then on the next page there's a waiver for that. <clears throat> and so we have to explore, can we get a waiver for this illegal entry?
4: I think this family that we're talking about has a good, good opportunity because they've been here for 25 years, and they've got two children that are citizens that were born here. Yeah.
2: Are the they Wisconsin. over 21?
4: So the children are <clears> not. <throat>
1: So with U.S. born sit- children, once they become 21, then they can petition for their parents. But if the parents entered without inspection, then that creates difficulty. It's, it's not automatic because they have got, got to do something with that un- unlawful presence in the country. Can
4: we are an Do you know, ask that question? So we're working with this, and right now we've got three church plants started. in uh, Two in Newton area, one coming in Lincoln area. Uh, but one of our pastors that we're talking about specifically is illegal. Is mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not a divider between us at all. It's something we're working out. And and so a couple of our churches that are sponsoring have one view on it. Others have a different view and that's where autonomy comes in but yet partnership comes in. You know, so it's okay. I mean, we're, right. we're just navigating through those things. But in your opinion, we know the state convention won't hire or can't pay someone who, or won't support a church planter, who has an undocumented illegal status. What's the view of the local church supporting someone who is undocumented or illegal? Or endorsing someone in a pastor position. I'm not talking about church membership or even attendance in a worship service, but we're, we're going back to Romans thirteen verses, mm-hmm. First Timothy three, the above reproach and the tensions that are held there. I mean, that's something we're having a difficult time navigating, and so that's one of the reasons we're here today is to ask that question too of like, where are the biblical qualifications of a leader in tension with hospitality from the church? And you know, it's it's murky.
3: You know, and it's not that murky if you got to leader. <coughs> you know, and Nick, can I just add to that question? Maybe you can answer it one time. What kind of it, if we have an undocumented pastor, what kind of uh, problems is he going to be in into? For example, one of his church members gets locked up. Can he go visit him in jail? If he, you know, or can he can he perform funeral services, or can he? Um, you know, what what is the what what kind of danger are we putting in him putting him in just practically for him to be an undocumented
2: pastor? It, again, it varies from church to church. I I was serving in Florida before I came here, and the churches, the Hispanic churches, have a hard time calling an undocumented pastor to be their senior pastor. But I came to North Carolina, and the necessity is such, and perhaps lack of training in some aspects, I don't have, but I think probably 99%, including the pastor, are the people in legal status. Uh, so there's a little bit more leniency, because if not, they wouldn't have any member or any leader. So, no, but again, that that's, that doesn't answer your question directly. I, I think we have the, the moral conundrum here of what the Lord is telling us to do, Romans 13, versus, you know, you need to be above the approach as a church, and we have more practical aspect of the IRS and the law. What do we do? So there are no short answers to any of this. My position, and Larry, again, you correct me. Uh, the pastor or the leader of the church need to have some Legal status for several reasons. You cannot pay him a salary. And if you do, you, you are legally liable as a congregation. If they f- find out that you're paying this guy $40,000, 50000 a year, he has no social security number, no status, and the IRS finds that out, you will need a good lawyer. Am I wrong? Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to run into trouble. So even if you agree and say, you know, we're going to hire him anyway, you, you better watch out because you're going to run into issues. If he leaves the country in that situation, he's going to a mission trip or something to lead some people, he's not going to be allowed to come back. So perhaps that is answering already your question about, you know, what do we need to do with this situation? I think he can get up to $600 a year before raising some red flags with the government. Uh, but it, it puts a lot of problems in, in the way of the church once you hire someone as part of your staff that has no... No social security, no no legal status. I would not advise. The church is not an embassy. Do not believe for a second that he can be safe in your church and the IRS cannot come and pick him up. They choose not to do it because it looks bad, but legally they can come in and arrest him a Sunday morning in front of the congregation, pull him out, especially if he has committed a crime, DUI, back on child support. Whatever life he lived before he came to the Lord, might be hunting him and, and you might run into trouble with that as well. So that's the importance of the intake interview. He put limitations on, on him once he has no papers. I would not advise the church to do that. Now we can go into the theological aspect of it and be a, being above reproach First Timothy 3, I don't think the pastor should be legal myself, but that might, might be an old school kind of guy. So I will turn it over to Larry. <laughs>
1: Well, a couple things. I think anybody that that you put on a church planilla, uh, you have to go through e verification. And if if he can't go through an e verification process, you should not hire him.
3: Can you say that one more time? The, the first part of that,
1: that. The on your payroll. Yeah, payroll. I did. Yeah, okay. planilla. Payroll. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Too many years in Peru. <laughs> to, yeah, planilla is not an English word. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't put anybody on your church payroll that cannot be certified through e-verification. That's, that, that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is that paying him not only puts the church in jeopardy, but it also puts him in jeopardy. So you're, you're, you're running...
4: Well, at this point, we're not paying them. You know, but, but, the church, but, the but the church is considering, is considering
1: that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be that would, that so, would. Like
4: Miguel and Sylvia, you know, that we've been able to support them just because he got his green card now, and then it's it's been mission houses and it's been yep. you know groceries or whatever. But it's right. not; it's in kind. It's not. Yeah, yeah. This is a different <laughs> situation. We're, we're we're moving into an area where it is official positions, and the goal is for them to be staff members, to be paid by the local church. With Miguel, you will
2: have no problem. Because uh, yeah. he's Cuban, he gets some special status. Right. but so yeah. he'll be okay. <laughs> but but okay. with... But, he's already got his green card, yeah. and Silva yeah. almost does. And, yeah. but, but, you know, the other guys, um, yeah. the,
4: the guy would probably Mexican in Yeah.
1: But with, with the... that That's the pay question. You know, and Tommy, it's Tommy, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, Tommy, the other question was, can he officiate... Uh, funerals would be no problem. But if he's not recognized as an ordained minister with the state of North Carolina, he does not have authorization. He can perform the wedding.
3: But he can't sign the...
1: He can't, he can't legally sign those marriage certificates. And so, again, that will be in violation of the statutes of North Carolina. Now, if you use him as a volunteer church planter... Uh, uh, Boy, this is really getting great You can, <laughs> you can, <laughs> yeah, you you can take food to him.
3: Sure. Uh,
1: well, you, well, the
4: bottom line is, we really we're talking about as hard as we don't want to walk in gray areas. Yeah, we we're not trying to bend and course and we want to be able to do things transparently, uh, you know, unapologetically, boldly uh, for the glory of God and to reach our city and. And and we get, I mean, I've, I've got a daughter in Honduras who perfectly, legitimately, uh, above board, wanted to come here for one month uh, over Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and uh, she's an adopted daughter, uh, she's in dental school, every credential in the world, goes to the immigration office, pays her $150 for five minutes to walk in and say, no, you're not allowed to come. You can't do it. And and it's not justifiable enough for you to want to come back. Yeah. And I mean, so so I get it. You know, we're, we we empathize deeply. So so it just it does the word you use conundrum. And and and, and some churches like uh, not to throw him under the table, but um, our other brother William, you know, has a little different opinion. William feels like it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so it's like. But 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 legally, it's navigating, and 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 you get different opinions per per yeah. area, and so for us, you know, we've got to decide because we are ultimately the shepherding, sistering churches that are housing these church plants, yeah. and uh, and so so there is a
3: liability with us. Yeah. Well, we want our and we want the members who are sponsoring to have clear conscience.
1: Yeah. Right, well, and say for instance, if you play it out. So you, you pay him, he does work, then at some point we make a petition for him to to get residency. One of the questions is, have you ever worked Yeah. illegally in the United States? He's got to say yes or no. I have to sign it that this information, to the best of my knowledge, is truthful. We couldn't sign it. Okay, so either. the other
4: question that I have then, too, is what is the difference between a Social Security number and a taxable number? Like a, yeah, like yeah, a work yeah. number. Because they're saying, they tell us that they do pay taxes, they do work, and they do pay taxes is what they tell us, but they have no social security number. So what is the difference? What do they have with that?
2: You can have an EIN number and not have, a, that again, it's a broken system, not have a status or legal status. Because sometimes that's a transitional number that they give it to you temporarily, not for you to abuse it, but once they have denied you your petition to stay, you should have left. But you stay, but you keep using that number. So you don't have legitimacy, really. Yeah. And
1: so so that number is a number that the the U.S. government uses to withdraw taxes of unauthorized employment, which equals about $33 billion a year.
2: (laughs) Wow. That's a big business.
1: (laughs) That the government is willing to take, but these people will never have a benefit. And they're unauthorized to work. And the government knows they're unauthorized to work, but they still want the money (laughs) I mean, It's the it's, government for you. Isn't
2: it? So, 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 so
3: just practically, so then we need to set up an appointment at, at the Hickory location or at the, at the Lincolnton location? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. That'd be great. We'd love to do that for you guys. Okay. And the other thing that we want to say to all of you is that if the Lord lays it on your heart to begin looking at the possibility of being engaged in an immigration center or some type of direct immigration ministry, then we're, we're interested in talking with you about that.
3: And I can I just I know we're about sure it, we're fine ready to go but um but I was here last year for this gathering and the Lord wouldn't let me go but my husband and I have a a home in um, Ocracoke and um and we're transitioning down there more and more and um, that's just a little Outer Banks island and about twenty five percent of the permanent residents are Hispanic um, and. I feel like a lot of them are not legal. And so we're feeling more and more led to help them. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I'm just wondering, you know, at some point, that's what I'm working through. Um, but at some point, you know, I don't know we'll reach out. will come meet you over there and, and Carrie, or talk to John Fason. But, you know, I, I just, I'm listening. I'm thinking, how, how would that fit down there? Because we're kind of removed from...
1: Well, and, and a place you could start, Tracy, is is here on the outreach and educational piece and the advocacy piece. It may lead to a service ministry, but it may not. Educational piece may be to gather those Hispanics there and talk to them about their rights, talk to and them about basic. Stuff
3: I would learn by taking this. Course.
1: No, not necessarily. These are the things you would learn from us. This course won't help you on these parts. Okay. Yeah, I I would I would not encourage you. To do the forty hours, unless you had some intent on getting your accreditation. However, if you go to uh, cliniclegal.org, there's just a basic uh, overview immigration course that doesn't require the intensity of this course, Mm -hmm. and you take it like in twenty hours, and it's your own pace. It costs you twenty-five dollars, and so that would be that would be a great place to start. That would help you. the 20-hour course? Uh, just look it up. I'll, okay, just yeah, some, yeah, just go to clinic.org. Okay, it's and it, and, to in, 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 right here it is. Fundamentals to U.S. Immigration Law. <laughs> to U.S. Immigration Law. Okay. And you don't get scored on it. You just acquire information mm-hmm. and okay. gives you an awareness of what's happening with the immigration piece. Okay. And that would be helpful for you to use with the folks there. Okay. All right, we want to honor your time. Uh, we're going to hang around if you have some more questions for us. Uh, but so thanks for coming. This is great and appreciate your interest and, uh, we'll look forward to continuing to connect and just pray with us that, you know, these centers open. Uh, we have more accreditation that North Carolina can, can continue to be the sort of the front runner of what's happening on this immigration scene. And we're very fortunate to have a state convention that allows us to do what we're doing omar is dedicating half of his time to that i'm a contract worker that works with the convention that i this is all i do now for the convention after being with the convention i'm in my 20th year now with the convention so uh we're fortunate to have and we're fortunate to have you as churches and bobby working with us and others that will be partnering with us in the future so thanks for coming let me have a closing prayer with us father thank you for today and your love Uh, thank you for the interest of these wonderful folks Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, but also thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of the immigrants. We love you. Help us to be loved by you, and help us to love those that you're sending to us, and help them to love each other. In Christ's strong name, amen.